Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. Continuing our conversation on mental health in schools, here's part two of our interview series as Stacy welcomes in Dr. Kira Baskerville and Cassandra Clemens to talk about the work they are doing in the mental health space in schools. I'm here today with two mental health professionals, and I want to thank you both for being here. Will you please introduce yourself to our audiences? Sure. My name is uh, Dr. Kira Baskerville. I am a mental health professional. I have been a mental health therapist for over 20 years. Currently, I co-own a private practice called Evolution Mind based out of Maplewood, New Jersey. I am also a principal at an elementary school in a um, working class community, which I have been doing for um, several years now. I started in special education, then I moved to central office, and then I moved back into the schools and a middle school as a VP, and then coming down to the elementary as a as a principal. Hello, I'm Cassandra Clemens. I am a licensed social worker, I'm relatively new to um, to the schools. Um, I've been uh, in school social work more as a whole school social worker, um, providing counseling support, group support, therapies. Um, doing some private practice. Uh, I've got my feet wet in special education, um, but I would say that that's not that's not um, uh, my, my strong suit. Um, I've spent uh, many, many years prior to getting into social work in school buildings, delivering um, curriculums, supporting youth um, um, for drug, alcohol, tobacco prevention, education, um, a lot of life skills training, delivering lots of family curriculums, um, which let me which let me know that um, the school setting was a setting that I enjoyed and that I could be in a school building but not be sort of boxed into a, as a teacher, so uh, so to speak. So um, when it came time to decide to solidify things, I, I said I, I could social work uh, in the school setting would be appropriate. Amazing. Well, thank you both again for being here. And it's clear you each have a deep history with the school systems and the way that you've worked with them and really dynamic in different ways. Um, and additionally, in the mental health sector, in a variety of capacities. Can you both tell us a little bit about the common misconceptions about your work that come up and what you can share to dispel any of those? So there's common mis misconceptions in, in the mental health field as well as in education. In the mental health field, um, one of the biggest misconceptions is that therapists in and of themselves don't go through their own personal challenges, right? Because we spend a lot of our time um, in a counseling session, oftentimes you don't realize how much we also carry. And, and how much it it weighs on us with the things that we hear all the time. And it's very important that 
therapists have their own therapists because they have to work through some of the some of the issues and things that are happening not only with the clients that they're seeing but in their own lives um, you know we're we're definitely on of the same mind with that Kira in that you know it's called uh, vicarious trauma right and so just like first responders um are taking in all of the you know oftentimes horrors of, of what they face in, in their work um taking in and listening to and, and helping support um our clients our, our students through um, and our families through what they're going through um we you can't help but take on um, some of that trauma so that self-care piece um is so so very very important I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that Throughout this series, that's something that's really come up of the things that we're all carrying. And really what I'm hearing you both say is that, and therapy is a space to release some of that carry, or maybe not even release, but have a space to uncover, discuss, explore some of what you're carrying. And that needs to that work needs to be done both by the different individuals that come to you, but also by the mental health professionals that are taking it all in. Um, very much so. Very much so. It really sounds that. How about from parents or from students? Are there any myths that you all experience um, when maybe supporting children into the uh, opportunity of therapy? Is Does anything come up there that you need to dispel? So there are different ways to look at that. So if you are, from a principal standpoint, recommending a child go through therapy, many times you have to go through a process where parents have to first believe that their child needs therapy. And that's hard to do, you know, for a parent to come to the realization that this child may need some help. So um, there's one of the misconceptions is that just because the principal says it doesn't mean it happens. And many times it's the process that we ourselves all have to go through with the parent. It's a relationship and it's built on trust. And you have to um, build the trust before parents are more inclined to to um, to listen. You know, as a social worker who has a child that um, has a 504 uh, plan, um, you know, I am often finding myself you know, needing to support families and help them along, as um, Kira mentioned, with um, getting more comfortable over time with what the needs are, right, for for their child, son or daughter. Um, and that, like, it is a dance and it, and it does take time. Um, and, but I'm particularly sensitive to it, having walked that journey, right? And, and having, I can think back about what it was like when I first heard, um, a teacher or assistant principal say a buzzword that kind of went over my head and was going over my head for a while to when you keep hearing that or you hear some other, some new language and starting to, um, even as a social worker, it wasn't quite sinking in um, until, you know, until it begins to, right? So um, it's, I think it's awesome when you can bring that um, experience and, and, and match it with um, the the profession and be able to show up. And so as much as uh, is, as much as makes sense, um, I am inclined to, you know, it, it lets me, first of all, empathize with the parent, 
you know, with that experience, but also share, um, you know, a little bit of, of my journey so that they can understand that it's not just me prescribing <laughs> and referring, but that, you know, hey, you know, I've had a, I've had a similar journey or a similar walk and I'm on it currently <laughs> like you. Yeah, that, that can be really helpful to share those experiences that you're having, that you've had from a, from a personal standpoint. Um, I know one of our, well, two of our children are to uh, partake in therapy and one has gone through therapy, right. For different anxiety reasons. And, um, one of the things we almost joke about my husband and I is that our middle child who engages in a lot of therapy is going to be much more well-adjusted than the rest of us. (laughs) And (laughs) And even in the car one day, we're on a long trip and he's like, all right, everyone, let's talk about triggers and coping strategies. And we were like, okay. (laughs) That's the thing that's so important is that um, I believe that all children should go through therapy because at the point that you want to be evolved as an adult, there's, there's work that has to be done to get there, right? Whether or not you have anxiety or whether or not you don't, um, there are things that are always coming up. And as an adult, we don't want to take that out on not only our friendships, but any relationship we may have, whether it's our life partner, whether it is a friend or a parent or a cousin, a brother, you know, you want to know what your stuff is. And the only way you really get to know your stuff is going through therapy and doing that dance with it. I really appreciate how you both are talking about this dance, not just with, you know, the, um, clients that you work with or students that you work with, but also the parents and the conversations that you're having with parents. Um, It really is a a give and take, right? And that's what happens in dance. What is something that might surprise our listeners to know about the work that you do? Well, for on the principal side is that the work never stops. It could be an evening, it could be a weekend, it never stops. And the um, the intense pressure of taking care of hundreds of, of children who you understand those parents love them as much as you love your own. So that's a high liability, a high stress level that uh, being a principal does, does take. Uh, the minute a, a child is missing from like a classroom or the cafeteria, you're, you know, everything <laughs> goes on fire inside because you know, you have to find that child. So the, the high stress of doing that work is difficult with therapy. The thing that's so important is that you really have to understand how much uh, what you do is a value and that you have to move out of your own way in order to allow the work to really flow, right? So a lot of times uh, therapists, their validation comes in their ability to help, but they have to understand that the help doesn't come in a month necessarily. It can come in years, It, but it's coming and it's going. And we have to not be impatient with the process, but be patient with the process. And I would add on to that, that, um, you know, it's a, it's such an awesome privilege to be in this position of, of all of the children or of all of the families. Um, you're in a 
in a place, in a particular place and time to to um, come in contact with said, said children and to um, learn about, you know, very intimate details of, uh, of what are going on uh, in their lives and to be in a, in a position of supporting and helping. And um, it's, it's a real, it's a real privilege um, when you can build that trust and, and build that rapport and be in relationship. And um, eventually, as Kira mentioned, get to a place of, you know, it's the joy and the love that you you have for for these families because you're journeying with them, right? And um, and then being able to see the the littlest uh, bit of change and progress and growth and development. And so, um, I think the surprising thing is that it, you know that there is a lot of joy in it. Um, we love these children. We love you know, supporting and working with their the families. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's really an honor, I guess. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know, it's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. It's really beautiful the way you're, you know, that privilege, that honor that comes with that trust and that relationship um, and, and the process. And so important, as Kira said, being patient, right? Process, progress rather and growth that all takes time and and changing so being patient with that is really important you speak about this process and and growth and change and we all experienced the pandemic together and everyone had you know different impacts of that but there's continued throughout the pandemic and and now right there's continued conversation about what impact the pandemic had on young people's mental health and well-being mm. what have both of you've noticed um in your practice in your experience in your schools and what are some things that you know you're really thinking about that's top of mind trauma and grief grief yeah um, you know, and grief comes in many different forms. It doesn't that does not necessarily mean that you physically lost someone, but you experience a lot of loss with not only routines and systems, but um, but school. You missed, you know, you lost school in its traditional sense. You lost being able to um, interact socially and be on clubs and in, on teams. And that had a, a major impact. And then if you add on to the fact that you, depending on your socioeconomic class, you had more access to different types of learning styles and learning um, models that were going into to impact uh, and to infect whether or not you were a part of a learning hub or whether or not you were able to uh, have someone come into the house to tutor you and be there with you going through the process of school. Some people, some kids, so many kids actually, were at home 
with a sibling or a grandparent who really didn't have access to the technology and things. So the deficits were huge. And when you come back to school and you recognize and realize how far behind you may be, that's devastating. So there are so many factors and variables that go into what happened post-COVID. And we're still in COVID. So it's still you know, happening. We may not recognize it the same, uh, but for many families, they are still being impacted. You know, I, I, I would echo, I would echo that. Um, coming back, um, there was we were, we were running groups. We couldn't run enough grief groups. Um, there, there, there literally was so much loss experienced in, um, in the community that you know I'm, I'm serving, and. Um, we, you know, what I found the feedback from scholars were, you know, they were, they were so grateful that there was a space um, where they could go in particular and talk about some of the um, family losses um, uh, and um, that they weren't alone in that. Right. So, so it, we had, um, we had the opportunity to, to help support them through and it's an, it's an ongoing um it's an ongoing thing because when they're carrying around the grief and they they're and when families aren't um understand understanding how to how to support they're, they're not always some of our parents um, aren't sure how to support themselves what to do to get themselves through and so um there's a lot of myths around you know whether kids even experience grief, you know, is, is it, you know, is it real for them that do they, did they even, you know, do they get it? And so um, it's huge to be able to address it, even, even, um, even if it is, you know, other kinds of losses, um, you know, fire, divorce, separation, you know, other, other kinds of things to give um, kids a chance to know that they're, that they're not alone and, um, and to give them some space to begin to work through that because, if they don't, then, you know, their behavioral challenges um, crop up and, you know, these are the things that really get in the way of, of their learning. So you both mentioned some of the challenges and impacts that have happened from the pandemic and the continued COVID um, situation that we're experiencing now. What other challenges emerge or come up in your work and how do you think schools could better be addressing them? I So I am very vocal in the fact that I believe clinical services need to be a part of the educational system right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of SEL going on, but I have always said that SEL is great, but we don't have clinicians in place when the hard questions start happening. I've had teachers come into my office crying during the SEL lesson because a student has has uh, revealed some information and they don't know what to do about it. Now, you know, thankfully I'm a clinician, so I can help guide some, but typically what I'll do is take it out of the teacher's hand because they're not trained to have those discussions. And I always say, you don't open a door you can't close in therapy. And um, I believe that our teachers are not equipped necessarily to have many of the questions that happen once trust is built. So you can have an SEL lesson, let's say, right? Because we know SEL is big right now. And you can ask the questions, you can do the lessons. And as the students begin to trust, they start to divulge more and more sensitive information. 
But the teacher doesn't know necessarily what to do once that trust is built and once that information is happening. So we need to have professionals in place who you can pass it off to. I mean, I I, I probably don't have a lot to add to that. Um, that's that's spot on. I I mean, I think in general, the more um, support that we can, you know, that that we can um, offer teachers, whether you know whether those are in opportunities for in-house, um, you know, continued professional development around um, around some of this. I mean, it's again, it's not they are not there to be clinicians and and teachers, um, but as much as I think some of the um, some of the biggest challenges um, that you know, the push and pull sometimes for, for teachers and students can just be around um, reactions to, to some of the behaviors and th- that are outside of the box, right? And so and it's hard when teachers have an agenda and they, you know, they have um, things that they're trying to get through um, for our exceptional learners that are a little bit outside of what we like to be like a nice little tidy box um, is, you know, whatever whatever we could do to support teachers to a place of like not getting caught up and tripped up on um, and taking things personal, right? And um, because um, the, the teacher relationship is, the teacher-student relationship is so important for so many of our learners that just that, just a, a teacher really having that register and Pouring into the pouring into the relationship and you know being intentional about establishing a relationship um, and not being put off, learning how to not be put off, and so um, you know th- that's just an area that's over and over and over again is is um, you know can can be a challenge, um, and so in in our profession in the mental health profession, you know there's so much training around and education around time spent around you know not getting not bringing you into it, not to, it's not personal. We learn to not to, to make it personal. And we, we, we look past, you know, to, to get to a place of supporting. And so um, just, I, I just, you know, just continuing to be able to support and provide, you know, that, that um, development in some of, in some of these areas. As you both were talking, it made me wonder, you know, we were saying mental health professionals need to ensure their own therapy, it kind of made me wonder about, you know, what teachers may need to support, you know, their mental health to cope and, and also uh, move past, right. Not taking it personal. That's, that's like a, that is a lot of training and learning and, and um, work to do to be able to be there. We say all the time, we are, we're always like our language, the lingo <laughs> that we use is like, everybody needs to get on a couch. Everybody should, everybody should pull up a couch. Just everybody. And, like and, and the couches are, are very important. You got to being able to sustain the work that you want to do. I love that. Pull up a couch. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> That's a good one. So speaking of everybody, if we had policymakers in the room right now, what would you advocate that they should be doing to support mental health um, in schools? I, so, um, well, there's so, there's so much, but if you just tackle one line of, of the mental health piece, it would be to provide clinical services, to provide the money so that um, there could be clinical services, not only for students, but for teachers as well. Um, 
because the teachers are suffering just as much as the children are suffering. And if 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 the teachers are not emotionally uh, stable, then it makes it that much more difficult for the student inside that classroom to be safe. And um, we have to care about the teachers just as much as we care about the families and the students. And sometimes I think the teachers, um, the teachers are not valued as much. So many times the thought is, well, you knew what you were doing when you got into education, but did we really? <laughs> did we really? We didn't know that everything that it came with, right? Um, many people entered the teacher profession in their 20s. What did mm -hmm. we really know? So um, we have to provide assistance in, in the form of mental health to not only our students, but our teachers. So, I, you know, my next question was, what should teachers be integrating into a classroom? But I feel like you both touched on it. But is there anything additional that you would want to share with teachers that they they could bring into the classroom to support, you know, youth well-being or as they're into implementing SEL work? I mean, I really here appreciated that, like who are you passing this to once it kind of gets away from you? Right. And your training and your ability to respond. I think that's a really strong message um, to take away. Uh, but are there anything else emerging for you both as you think about um, this coming school year that's kicked off in all states now? Uh, anything teachers should be thinking about? So I always feel like there are many ways that a teacher can um, can create a supportive. Right. Loving classroom environment. And it's about the expectations that you set for your class. So for instance, I can do something like decide um, when a student says, well, there's a right answer, let's go with the right answer. It doesn't have to be the teacher that says, good job. I can create on my board 10 different responses that speak to encouragement, right? Um, you're amazing. That was awesome. Keep going. Even if someone doesn't, doesn't do it right, right? Um, you'll get it next time. I love the fact that you took the risk. I love the effort. We're in this journey together to create a, an environment within your classroom that is supportive and that is not competitive, right? And there are class norms that are not only centered around um, behavior, but there's emotional behavior as well. So there's the behavior of you don't uh, call out don't just get up and walk out the classroom. But there's also things like what we don't do, you know, um, and you can dress it up in a very, in a nice way that doesn't start with what we don't do. But it's along the lines of creating beautiful circles around children in which we speak love into children, right? And this is the students speaking love into their classmates, particularly if there's a classmate who's doing something that's off task. I can I can stop what we're doing, create a create a circle of love around a student, and say, you know, we are um, better than this. We are, or you are, awesome and amazing. You are not um, doing the behavior that we want to see right now. So you can create an environment in which there's a circle of love, and children all feel supported and 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 love. I, you know, I, I think it is so much about um, the atmosphere um, that's created and um, the, you know, messaging, certainly the positive reinforcing messaging. Um, 
it, and it's not about you know leaving any leaving uh you know those scholars that have the um that again that 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 behavior outside of the box i i like to refer to them as exceptional learners um you know we we want to we want that classroom to be in a class uh, an environment that will that will bring them along that everybody can go along that no you know no one's um left behind i've i've i've, I've had experiences where the the classroom environment um you know our our the, our learners are picking up from the picking up the vibration of of the teacher and so um if you know if you're this if it's if you're unfortunate enough to have a situation that is um where a teacher is not connecting with with a uh, one of the learners um this kids can pick up on that you know so it's you know i keep i always go back to i, I keep going back to relationship 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 you know and the the connections and 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 finding ways to connect if you can find something special or something unique or something you have in common um that can be your thing with this student and then you have something special you know um some something you know if everyone feels seen and and valued and and feels empowered and, and encouraged um uh you really will be able to um you know, you have be successful. Yeah. Relationship and environment. Well, speaking of that, we're moving to parents next, uh, which, you know, um, our students are home with family, parents, whoever that is, their guardians. What can parents do at home to be supporting their students or what signs should they be looking out for to potentially seek more help? So, um, you know, signs is 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 a very general thing. So what I always say is that you know your child, so you know when your child is off task, right? Or there's something that's not um that's that's settling differently for you. And that you have to follow your parent gut, I call it. Because if you have a child, let's say they say look out for a child that's to himself or herself, but your child is always to himself or herself. However, your child is is typically mild mannered, and all of a sudden he has outbursts of anger. You know, you have to start to you know what is um, the norm for your child and what is not. There are general signs that you look for: withdraw, you know, withdrawing behavior, um, you know, giving stuff away, um, outbursts, um, you know crying, not eating, not sleeping. There's such a list of things that are happening that, you know, the grades take a um, a dive all of a sudden, you know, you're losing interest in play and, and you're not as active as you want to once was. So there are a lot of signs and, and at any time with those signs, you are, you want to seek help. So you can go through your school counselor or through your principal or through your, you know, the teacher sometimes is, and many times is the first starting place for parents because they have built a relationship with the teacher and the teacher is typically saying to the parent, hey, something has changed with, with, with such and such. And a discussion starts. And then the teacher many times will come to a school counselor or come to the principal. So, um, the, you know, the most important thing with the sign is to say something and not keep it to yourself. You know, for me, it was, um, you know, when there were, when there started to be sort of some crumbs and then I started to notice a trail <laughs> and then as I'm like sort of following the trail as a, as a again, as a, as a parent, um, 
you know, it was um, it was research, right? And so, um, and and I think it's so important because, um, you know, it's it's important to kind of dive into, you know, when the when you begin to uh, see a pattern of um, repeat visits to, you know, principal, vice principal's office, and we, we begin to see that okay, that, you know, there's some challenges in in this area, um, to begin to um, begin to read up and and to, to get educated yourselves as parents um it's it's a journey um and so and 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 even if and with that i would say it is so important and this is something that i've done is um been really intentional about also educating my exceptional learner and having him um you know there there's a lot of information that is brought um that that's the that's delivered at his level right and so he can um you know, the more he can begin to learn and understand for himself helps him because he's, he's, you know, he's the one, he's the subject, right? So he is the one um, that will need to, you know, begin to process and put together that, okay, when I get, I'm, this is called, you know, this is impulsivity. (laughs) And, you know, so, okay, I may, maybe this decision, um, I'm not a bad guy, you know, I, I, there's a challenge around um, me maybe making a, a snap decision, right? And, and doing something really quick, I couldn't slow, can't slow down to kind of think through it, right? And so being able to name that for him is humongous, right? And so being able to name that for our children lets them know that they're not, you know, maybe some of the things that, um, you know, some of those incoming messages that they're getting you know, it helps to ward off that no, there's there this this is something and it has a name and there's a reason why. So I think um, as parents and as families, really to um, be on that journey of researching and learning more about the things that come up, uh, and so that you can then then you're able to make um, informed decisions. Right? There are a lot of stigmas, um, particularly in uh, communities of color around. Um, mental health and seeking support. Um, and, um, you know, in some cases and with medication and, you know, there's, there's a lot of controversy, right. About the oversubscribing of, of, um, medication and, and these things, but researching and really diving into, you know, and, and, um, getting that education for yourself can, um, can really be helpful in allowing our parents and families to to come to conclusion and make decisions that are best for them. Uh, Well, thank you both. Just before we hop off, is there anything else that you want to share that we didn't touch on? No, I would just uh, impress on everyone not to, not to um, feel ashamed about therapy, right? Therapy is such an important process to healing and to being able to self-actualize that um, it doesn't have to be anything that's that uh, catastrophic that happens that brings you into therapy. Sometimes you just want to go because it's just a beautiful process and it's just a beautiful dance to start learning about yourself and how you show up in the world. Therapy is the, is the best me time. It literally is me time, right? Um, and uh we have we have our primary care physicians. We have our podiatrists, our you know um, OBGYNs. We have our pediatricians. 
Um, we do a lot to take care of our bodies, our physical bodies, right? Um, I think that it, we really, I'm looking towards the, the day and the time where having a mental, th everybody has a therapist. Everybody has, you know, is doing, is practicing, is, uh, engaged in their mental health. And so that requires uh, a, support, a support person, right? Uh, a doctor, a therapist, a clinician that is um, helping you to look after your mental health. It's the most precious thing. Uh, we can have our physical health, but without our, our, our mental health, you know, we're really lacking, right? So everybody pull up a couch. Love it. Well, thank you both again, Karen, Cassandra. It was great having you both here. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. you thank too. you so much for the opportunity to talk about something so important. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Educate Us podcast. Subscribe to the show, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review or comment wherever you can. We want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, or just want to be part of the conversation, email us at theeducateusshow at gmail.com. This has been a production of Leon Media Network. I'm Nick Saveri. I'm Patrice Fenton. And I'm Stacey Schultz. We'll see you next time.